Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. One day after a historic day of reckoning in sports broadcasting history, MK still standing back in your face hole. Brian Campbell, Luke Thomas, and the award-winning best damn combat sports show maybe in the history of the organized free world. We're back at it Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Obviously, we've got some big headlines to address. We are also going to set the stage for all things UFC 294 this Saturday and read your fan submissions. But Luke Thomas, right off the top, um, tough day yesterday for so many that we love, so many that we've been on the front lines with. So many over an incredible 37-year history of Showtime Sports. Obviously, we fielded nothing but great letters of encouragement from our fans and a lot of questions about MK's future. Uh, how are you doing here one day after a day we've been waiting for in terms of a resolution? Now we have it. Yeah, well, at first when you said it was a dark day, I thought it was because you were referring to your gonorrhea um diagnosis from your doctor but you're right the bigger luke, news, we call of we refer to that as my black liver on the show okay luke just for you know for <laughs> punctual reasons yes yeah i mean you know listen i don't even know exactly what to say we we you know we had some idea that um a day like this could be on the horizon so uh but it was official we, we, you know people like oh how long did you guys know we found out like you guys did yesterday you know basically uh, in terms of making it official, but I'll, I'll just say this, um, you know, I want folks to know that working for Showtime has probably been the best job I've ever had. Right. Uh, you know, and that, that includes MK and then some non-MK stuff, BC. I know you would agree because we did stuff outside of the MK bubble, so to speak, with Showtime. But dude, Showtime treats you like family. Showtime makes you feel like you're a contributor. Everything is white glove treatment. Everybody is part of a bigger family. Um, they make you feel like you're the king of the world every time you show up. I loved the work. I loved everything about it. MK wouldn't exist but for Showtime. So obviously, like everybody else, this is not a great, you know, this is not great news in terms of losing an iconic brand like this. Um, in the way that they did. I know there's more to the story, but I just want everybody to know I love, and I still do today, every second of working with Showtime and uh, could not be more grateful for the opportunity. Uh, thanks to Brian Daly and a lot of other folks to be in this position. What a treat the last four years have been, you know? Well, well said. I echo that completely. And obviously, if you've been living under a rock yesterday, uh, Paramount Global, the parent company to both CBS Sports and Showtime, the labels that pay us, have decided to sunset Showtime Sports after 37 years. So that'll mean no more MMA, no more boxing. Uh, obviously, you've got a lot of questions regarding MK. And just a reminder that, look, this was always from, the, for, from you know, a, a show that launched on Showtime but quickly became a, a joint effort from CBS Sports and Showtime. And we are still with CBS Sports and very happy. And the lights will still turn on. The heat is getting paid. The show will move forward. But to all my 
incredible friends, colleagues. I don't think I don't think you can stop at friends and colleagues, Luke, because I've worked at many different places, and obviously we've greatly enjoyed and still greatly enjoy working at CBS Sports. But the family atmosphere that we felt at Showtime, uh, you can't help but feel for everybody who got the the really tough news. And I think when you look back at the history, in particular, of Showtime Championship Boxing, it's it's not only been a a decorated almost historic one, and I say historic from the standpoint of what are the five biggest pay-per-views in boxing history in terms of overall buys? Well, four of them have been on Showtime, starting in 1986, of course, with their launch in the John Mugabe, uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler fight, and continuing through so many different eras of success. And Luke, let's talk about it. This calendar year, People haven't been lying. This has, you know, arguably been the best year in the 37 years of Showtime Championship Boxing with super fight after super fight, week-to-week action across the board from Championship Boxing down to Showbox, the new generation. Um, It's tough to see the brand go out at such a robust time where everything's coming together in such an incredible calendar year and such an incredible effort across the board, not just from the folks at Showtime Boxing, obviously PBC. And Luke, boxing's not dying. Premier boxing champions, their heart will go on, of course. And you have to believe, and I'm sure everyone can read the same stories online with the same rumors that they're going to be able to rebound just fine and, and, and the brand will move on. But today is about really taking stock of of what Showtime Boxing has been. And, you know, I always point to 2013 being the power year in which Al Heyman, Floyd Mayweather, and so many of the fighters that went on to launch the PBC two years later made that power shift from HBO over to Showtime, disrupted the balance, and produced back then in 2013 one of the most incredible, craziest years of boxing, probably until this very year. But think about the run that Steven Espinoza has had on top making big fights with Showtime Sports. We know the success in the big events we've seen from Bellator in recent years, Strike Force before that. Showtime Champion Showtime Sports in general has always been such a decorated combat home and uh and I'm just really happy Luke that when it comes to both of our resumes and and the legacies we'll leave behind that you know, we played a, a formidable role in this network's great history. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, BC, like if you look at sports, there's a couple of places where when people start working there, they don't really ever want to leave. I think you see a lot of folks do that with ESPN, although it's a bigger operation and there's a lot more turnover. But, you know, there was a guy I think who retired yesterday who had been there for 43 years or something. Showtime was just like that, dude. People got those jobs and they didn't want to leave. Why would you? You're doing some of the biggest work in combat sports with some of the best teams that you can find. I mean, I know in MMA people might have some weird idea based on, you know, some of the antagonistic stuff that promoters do. But I can just tell you, like, I've never seen an operation like this. I've never seen brand loyalty like this among people who work. I've never seen people who just never wanted to leave. And by the way, to the point you're raising, we should note, um, on the calendar still, you're going to get the David Benavidez-Demetrius Andrade fight November 25th. That's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So that should be a lot of fun. That's a sick fight. It's not going to sell the most pay-per-views of all time, but it's a really good, really important fight. That's on the docket, so I'm looking forward to that. Plus, uh, our understanding is you know, we're not... We're not like in these meetings, but our understanding is that there, you know, you should expect some events potentially uh, as well in December. So that's going to be on the calendar. But to the point you raised, BC, just the Strike Force history alone puts Showtime in a really important place. Plus, they were airing Elite XC before that, which put on some really interesting fights as well. A rich history in MMA, and then on the boxing side, what can you even really? 
you know, what can you really even say? And I just want to point out and say this uh, about the overall Showtime crew. You know, listen, 2023 was a big success in boxing, not just because of what Showtime was doing or, you know, there's a few partners in the overall boxing space who made it a great year, but many of the biggest events took place on Showtime. You give credit to the fighters like Bud uh, Crawford, like Errol Spence. Canelo. You know, for, for, for risking it. Canelo, yeah. yep, of course. I mean, you can go to Tank, Ryan, the whole nine yards. You give credit to all those guys, but also, you know, where did all of those fights end up? They ended up on Showtime because they were trying to do the very best work that they could because that's just what this operation is about. Sure. Look at the results. They speak for themselves. It was a hugely successful year by any metric. And, um, you know, it's obviously I'm not... I'm not thrilled about the ending of it, if I could be candid with you. I don't think anybody necessarily is. But at the same time, dude, it's a record. Make no mistake about it. It is a record of enormous accomplishment in all of combat sports. Not many entities like it anywhere. It will be yeah. sorely missed. And it's it what make it's what makes the trash talking of Dana White of late curious because Showtime's reputation in this space has been the best production in the game across the board, top quality. And obviously this decision is a corporate one. We know that that the, that the landscape in general and sports journalism and broadcasting right now, there's always ups and downs, ebbs and flows. You know, right now might be a little bit of a downward, but uh, it's this decision is certainly not based on the effort and the results put in. And, and once again, to circle the wagons on the history of Showtime Boxing, I mean, they had rights to Mike Tyson post-jail on that pay-per-view run. They were the early home of Felix Trinidad, the pay-per-view home of Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. You transfer that into this century and look at the records that Floyd Mayweather did on this network, the growing star now of Gervonta Tank Davis ready to take that mantle. And the big events, whether it's Mayweather Canelo in 2013, the joint effort with HBO Sports of Mayweather Pacquiao in 2015, the same joint effort between networks, by the way, in 2002's Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson and 2017's Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko, all monumental breakthrough crossover events that Showtime Boxing was front and center in that leadership position and all the great colleagues, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to so many of them in the past day. Steve Farhood sent me such a beautiful message across the board. Uh, I have so much love for everybody. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this great story. The story of boxing, the story of PBC is going to continue and I have to believe is going to continue strong as will morning combat luke yeah we are we're not going folks we got shows to do right bc like yep. far as we're concerned we have shows to do we are not going anywhere and do we have reason to believe that there's optimism in the future for an even brighter future than we've ever experienced yes yes we do so buckle up folks the mega powers your boys bc lt we ain't going nowhere okay we ain't going nowhere but thank you to showtime for having us thank you for your contribution to the combat sports business. Always, always sad. Same feelings when HBO Sports got out of boxing, you know, just five or six years ago. Never never good to see this. It's it's weird seeing people sort of oddly celebrate it, but I guess on Twitter they'll oddly celebrate anything dark. This yeah. is both a dark day and a celebration in so many ways. MK rolls on, though, from here. And, Luke, when we talk about the MK experience, so much of that has been this hat right there. This bomber jacket over here, <laughs> this drug rug and BC Hawaiian shirt over there. How about version 2.0 of the average Joe R experience? Luke, are we selling unicorns with rainbow hair or no? Are we doing Tuki that? made this for me, bro. So oh I, I keep it on God. my desk. 
Tukey made. Well, you know who else made us stuff, Luke? And Tukey's mm. incredible, and I hope you cherish that. Average Joe Art collaborated with 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 Ray Dunzelbanger over there, RJ, and uh, <laughs> the, the new Proud Papa. And right now, if you go to morningcombat.store, right freaking now, part two of the Average Joe Art experience has launched. Luke, did you get a chance to look at it? What are your early feels here? Uh, I did get a chance to look at it. It's... You know, you keep waiting for uh, the bubble to pop on this, right? You keep waiting for like, oh, the first set of designs were great. You know, it kind of petered out thereafter. No. No, they just keep being good, actually, it turns out. So I can't wait for you guys to see them. Please take a look. It's just, for, we're very lucky. We're very lucky people, dude. Morningcombat.store. Get on it right now. If you love the average Joe experience as much as we have and you want to see more of it, Hey, folks, keep keep bringing the shekels this direction, okay? Thank you for following us, liking this video, and, of course, for checking out our extended spinoff content at YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. We got Gordon Ryan. We got Room Service Diaries with Eric Nixick. We got Ken Shamrock. We have an incredible, repaired, almost a pregame preview, Luke, that you were a major part of yesterday getting that out. Uh, talking to Eric Nixick about the fighters on the 294 card. Luke, there's just as good a content off the books of these live shows than there is on it, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, actually, some of the best content we do is off of it, to be quite candid. Uh, but yes, uh, you know what, man? It's like anytime you pre-record something, you're always like, I hope these fights hold up. And not only did the first fight fall out, the second fight fell out, and the third fight fell out. But there was a couple of pieces of wisdom in between that we thought were pretty good, so we shared it. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. BC's Ken Shamrock interview. Tons of other interviews we got up there. Uh, we have the Room Service Diaries, as BC indicated. I mean, what are you doing, folks? Go yeah. get it. We what made it. What are you doing it. with Go your time? It. Go bang. Go check out our 50 Greatest Moments in MK history. And while this larger sort of anvil that dropped yesterday was something we knew could come, we needed we needed closure. We got it. Let's go to the future. And the future is bright. The future is strong. And the future is all about UFC 294 as we transition out of a lengthy intro, you know, of, of the BC special and variety. Hey, Luke, let's get right off the top. Storylines ahead of Saturday's loaded Abu Dhabi pay-per-view this isn't the card we signed up for, but we've been debating since these changes first went live, what, 11 or 12 days before Saturday's event, whether this card was actually an upgrade. Topic number one is looking at this fantastic last-minute main event, the rematch for the lightweight title as featherweight king Alexander Volkanovsky takes a very short notice, but big reward opportunity against Islam Mahachev. Luke, I want to just gauge before we get into this matchup and some of the things that came out of media day yesterday um has your like excitement level increased we were already so jazzed for this card because we loved Oliveira islam too we loved hamzat being in a big fight we loved a lot of things ikram aliskarov i love this more i've come to terms with that i love saturday's offering even more what about you well i'll i'll say this I have seen a lot of people, and not just people, actually. Um, you had a moment there. I don't know if we want to throw to it or not, but we had a moment there where Islam Makachev was kind of undercutting John Jones' status as pound for pound number one, remarking that, you know, back when he had a chance to fight Chael Sonnen on short notice, he declined, and, you know, a real champion doesn't do that, which is sort of why he was 
he was underscoring that because he accepted this fight against Volkanovski himself on short notice as well. Obviously, we know the story. He had been in camp, but it is a change of opponents that matters. Uh, you also had Volkanovski himself being like, you know, if the roles were reversed, Islam wouldn't have taken it. You know, and I don't know if that's true or not. No one really does. But again, this idea of this is what champions do. They just accept. They just move forward. And you know what's kind of funny is, I mean, that's just flatly not true. It's not a good idea to take a fight on uh, uh, windows like this. It's, in fact, incredibly risky, BC, and you know this as well. Like, there's a reason why the sport doesn't function this way, because you would get really not just, uh, you know, weird results. You get far from suboptimal in terms of fairness results or really any kind of way to uh, properly assess who is actually better when you did it this way, there's a reason why guys have eight to twelve week camps, especially especially at the at the championship level, because that's actually how you get the best fights and the best results. Now I understand there's a lot of injuries in the sport, so there's a next man up thing. The point I'm trying to say here, BC, to add this all up is this rejection of that idea makes me very curious. Yeah. Very curious. Because if Islam goes in there and just runs him over, you're gonna be like, Oh yeah, right. I mean, the guy would just had surgery. I mean, fairly minor one, but still a surgery. And you're like, okay, well, that gets it. But if Volk goes in there in the way in which he's talking about, which we all know is not the best way to do it, up a weight class, and really, BC, if he falters here, this is his last champ champ uh, opportunity in all likelihood. But if he actually goes through with it and gets the belt, dude, you're talking about something that is truly beyond the realm of remarkable. I mean, you often ask, BC, what would it take to put X fighter or Y fighter on MMA's Mount Rushmore. And I'm not declaring to you this would do it. But if you get a guy like Volk who accomplishes something like this, that conversation starts to get a lot more it interesting. It does. I mean, I, I, you know, even without a win here, he's creeping up. He's creeping up on the larger Daniel Cormier, BJ Penn, Jose Aldo bubble, which to me is sort of right below the upper room bubble. A lot of people have the king of Heo or have it flipped up and have certain guys higher than others. And, you know, you can debate it all you want. Is he of that ilk? You're damn right he is. And does this give him the opportunity to double down in what I wrote this week on CBS Sports is a no-lose situation. Now, in, in all reality, it's not a no-lose situation. If he gets flatlined by Islam, gets injured, you know, gets a tarnish to his reputation, there's some certainly a toll to pay, a receipt to be had. There's ways to lose and lose badly in this game that affect the rest of your career. But if he goes in there and loses competitively on short notice, we're going to go, oh, man, this guy's got balls. He's the number one star, you know, number one pound for pound in the sport, yet he wants to be great so badly that he's willing to take this chance. I just want to echo this about Volk. Most people, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd advise against doing this. Most people, I, you know, I, I'd advise against even putting out there in, in, in the, you know, in, in the in the Twitter sphere, in the world, in the ethos that a smaller guy moving up in weight on short notice could even possibly win this. If anybody can pull this off, which is what Volkanovski was really talking about during his media day appearance yesterday, it is him. And he has talked about that. It's not that there's no shortage of danger. It's that there's so much danger that he's so giddy that I think he knows in this moment there's going to be a special edge, a special quality to him. And as much as this is a big risk for him, it's not as if it's not some level of high risk for Islam, just the same. So not only does he deserve the same credit for saying yes and allowing the show to go on, this is also a challenge. I mean, you know, Islam's going from a very dangerous fighter in Oliveira, but a guy that he handled handily, somewhat surprisingly, 
to the toughest challenge of his career, short of the the only man to beat him so far in the UFC, which was Volkanovski. So it's not going to be easy for him on short notice just the same. That just conspires together, Luke, in all the unknowns here, including the unknowns of Usman moving up in weight. And how about a fight nobody's talking about? Ankalaev finally back after the Blahovich draw and in maybe a pseudo number one contender fight against Johnny Walker. There's a lot to like here on Saturday, and I'm ready. I'm, I'm jazzed. Oh, oh dude, I, I've been saying to you this, like this again. Remember, I missed the O'Malley and Aljo fight because I was on vacation at that time. So the last pay-per-view I've enjoyed was the, whatever was before that one. Uh, 292, I guess, or whatever it is. I don't even know what 292. I can't even remember what it was anymore, if you can, if you can tell me. So I'm super pumped for this card, dude. Extra pumped. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. You know, again, far from ideal conditions, but there's plenty to like in that main event, especially if you fancy an upset and what that would mean. In the co-main event, we haven't even gotten to it yet, of sure. course. Right. I mean, we're talking about two guys who have either trained or fought Sean Strickland who might get a chance to get another opportunity at it, other pieces down the line. But BC, I do want to say one thing about this main event as we dig our heels into this UFC 294 coverage. So I went back and I rewatched the fight a couple of times, okay? Once last night, once more this morning. Now, when I say I judged it, I want to tell you what that means. That means I watched the full thing, but if there was something I wanted to see again, I went back and watched it, sometimes several times. I might put something in slow motion. I didn't look at any data, but I did look at the footage however I wanted to, if that makes sense. Now... You know as well as I do, that is not in any way how actual judging works. In fact, it's pretty far from that. But in doing it the way that I did, let me tell you what conclusion I came to. And of course, the volume was almost all the way down, all right? That's a 4-1 Makachev fight pretty cleanly. Pretty cleanly. I don't. The only round, I think, judging it the way that I did it, I can only find the fifth round for Volkanovski. And I think a lot of the narrative coming out of that being, you know, it's a 50-50 fight. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Not in actuality. Well, all right. Let, let's get into that. Because watching it live, I had it 3-2 Mahachev. Rewatching it, I, I remember saying it on the Monday after that fight. Rewatching it, I'm like, yeah, there is a case for what you just said. 4-1 to one, Mahachev. And I think that case is actually pretty clean if you see it the way... You know, if you if you look at it that way, I watched it another time, and yeah, I still think four one is you know a very good score. I didn't make the argument for Volkanovski, but there is one there. Even if it was four one or three two, that that doesn't which, necessarily which three mean... which three rounds. Uh, wait, if, three, three five and which other one? I I can't make the case for a third round for Volk, yeah. but I'm what yeah. I'm trying to say here is was it like here's the thing. There can be a boxing match, for example, Luke. You, you right? There could be a boxing match that's eleven rounds to one on the scoring, but yet it was head and neck and neck contested, exciting, yes. aggressive, violent. Like that doesn't always tell. So even if you, even if it's a stronger case for four one Islam than three one three two or three two for Volk, that doesn't mean that it isn't a 50-50 fight, that it didn't play out like a 50-50 competitive fight. Obviously, people that scored it for Volk are going heavy on how Grady looked and finishing it strong late, separate from just the round-by-round -round scoring. If you watch that fight all the way through and you're like, who would you rather be or who did better? Could you make cases for Volk after the fifth round he had? Of course, you know what I mean? You're adding in also the grading him on a curve because he's a smaller fighter moving up against a guy who we thought really 
and still is in discussion for maybe being the best in the sport overall, and that's Islam as well. But I just feel like, Luke, even if we're saying 4-1, we're not saying he dominated. I think the story of the fight, even with me saying Mahachev won it every time I've scored it, he's won it in my eyes. The story of the fight was still Volkanovski and how he raised his game to compete on that level. Uh, and I'll go to I'll go to the great fight in that battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fight was competitive, but uh, the reality is the crowd. Remember, this fight took place in Perth, I believe. So it was certainly in Australia. So you had a rabid pro Volkanovski crowd. For example, there was one time where he did an inside leg kick on on uh, Islam, and Islam temporarily lost his balance and then regained it, you know, within a second or so. And they went bonkers cheering for it. And that was not even close to the most decisive strike that Islam landed in in that particular round. And so you had that going for him. I also think, you know, what was the real big surprise on the Volkanovski side? In the first fight, I would argue that it was his defensive grappling. His defensive grappling was much stronger, I think, than a lot of folks assumed it would be. Now, of course, the counter to that is Islam's counter striking was also much more effective than a lot of folks imagined it would be. But when you really look at who was deciding where most positions took place, when you really look at who was landing the authoritative strikes, when you really look at who was sort of defining the terms of the fight more closely, it's Islam Makachev four to one. I mean, I don't. Re I mean, there's one punch, for example, that stumbles Islam backwards, and then when you go look at the replay, it was only because he tripped over himself walking backwards under basically a pushing scenario. He didn't actually get punched and then dropped. That's not what happens. Whereas that did happen to Volkanovski. I think in the either the first or the second round, he got he got um, he went square and he got dropped. And so. There's just a lot of, and also like what happened in the fourth round BC, he had the back, but it wasn't very close to finishing. And then in sure. the fifth, Volkanovski was on top kind of finishing. So it had this look of like who did better down the stretch. Oh, Volkanovski. There are not three rounds for him. There are not. You cannot find There's three not. rounds no, for this no. guy. But, but would you say that even though you and I are both more in a 4-1 Mahachev territory and not even a 3-2, although look, the margin of difference here is very close, for people that... And there's been a lot of credible journalists, fighters, you know, talking heads that that did score that for Volkanovsky. Is it a are they like dead wrong or is it just preference in your eyes? Well, I think that they're wrong. But remember, I mean, saying that I judged it in the way that I did, where I mean, I get to go back and look at replay after replay if I want or this particular exchange and that that's just not in any way realistic. So in real time, when there isn't a huge gap between guys and also more crucially, if their numbers are pretty close, even if there's a big difference in quality, if guys are landing at roughly the same clip on each other, that can be hard to really parse the difference. Like there's a lot of things just kind of look the same. So I understand why a debate could materialize in real time around that. I think the point I'm trying to make is under better methods of inspection, right? Where we're not limited by what can you judge right this instant. You get you get to use some technological tools, you get to reconsider. The evidence becomes pretty clear that Makachev won four of those rounds, and I know that might upset. Listen, I've we've been hyping Volkanovski up before the rest of the fan base was. Let's just be real about that on this show. So this is not anything anti-Volkanovski, but the truth is he was behind the eight ball in that fight, although he really, I think, compared to expectations on the defensive grappling side, very strongly performed, uh, which is insanely admirable, but it's like, what, between that and then trying to do this again on 12 days notice, BC, the only thing I'll say that, that I think does work in Volkanovski's favor is, um, you know, he had the fight more recent, 
right? Yeah. He had an opportunity to get. It's not a tune-up, you know. You can't say that, but you know, he got to stay active. That kind of a thing that will serve him on Saturday, no doubt about it. I want to ask you a key question about that fifth round, which was big from Volkanovski. And again, I think anybody just sort of loosely scoring it for him. It, a lot of times, you're coming off the buzz of what you just saw, which was this moment where he had Islam in peril. To be very fair, was that a result of of a of Islam not having the same cardio, or do you think there was a late adjustment from Volk that opened that up? And I want to compare it to the first fight between Amanda and Valentina at UFC 196, where as much as Amanda controlled the first two rounds, once Valentina made that adjustment, although she made it too late, she was suddenly in the power position, dictating the terms, putting Amanda in jeopardy. Is there any similarities there, and how do you think Volk was able to produce that moment never forget there was an iv controversy the first time right islam's a big dude he cuts a lot of weight i will just tell you and i think the audience knows this as well but it's worth saying out loud if islam has any issues with this weight cut and remember his predecessor habib had plenty i went to the fight uh, again i can't remember if it was 207 or 209 where it was also also the rematch between wonder boy and woodley and Tony Ferguson was left at the aisle. Remember the same thing where he didn't get paid like Wonder Boy more recently, you know, because sure. um, his opponent never made it. I remember interviewing Habib at Media Day the day before, and he had the worst cotton mouth I had ever seen on a fighter. He could, I mean, it looked like he had been gargling sand. You know what I mean? It was just, he, you could not believe how bad it was. So when I found out later, we all, like we all did, that he went to the hospital, I was like, oh, right. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter 12 days, two days, two hours. If Islam has a fucked up gas tank because of his weight cut not going right, this is Volkanovski's fight to lose. I believe that. I Except believe that. Except for the fact that Volkanovski is going to have potentially, unless he's bluffing us, potentially a short gas tank himself. But I really so, want to make so yes. But like when you say that, let me just ask you. Here's my belief. Do you, do you agree? I think Volkanovski has enough for three rounds. After that, I think it's probably going to be a bit of a problem for him. Yeah, I but do that's think still three gonna, good ones. I do think this is going to affect his strategic switch in this second fight, but I just don't know to the level that he's gamesmanship or playing with us because he has been so open about saying it and saying, "Look, you know, I've I've been working out, but no, I haven't been in camp. I've been, you know, having a drink here. I've been doing different things, and now he's like, yeah, I think I only have enough stamina to go in there and get the knockout.' So. Is he smart enough to be setting traps? Of course he's smart enough to be setting these type of traps. Yes. But yes. what I really wanted to ask you and why I made that Amanda Valentina comparison is I ended up not being surprised that Valentina fought Amanda on even terms in the second fight to the level where I even scored it for Shevchenko, as did a lot of people, because I felt like in round three of the first fight, she figured out the adjustment that she needed to make in order to compete on even terms. Do you think there's any level of that for how that first fight between Volk and Islam ended? Did Alex figure him out? And are people maybe not thinking about that entering the no. rematch? No, he did not figure him out. Uh, but Volkanovsky, excuse me, Makachev, I don't think really figured out. Uh, well, okay. So a couple of things. I'll give credit to Jack Slack. I actually looked back. I was like, I never remembered the details of this fight. I actually never broke it down in real time. Which is why. So uh, I had the opportunity to go read somebody else's analysis. And I read Jack Slack. Shots to Jack Slack. He did a great job. One thing that was really interesting about this fight 
was if you notice, it looked kind of weird, but Volkanovsky was very good at it. There'd be times when Islam would be behind him, they're both standing, and they'd be against the fence. And you'd actually see Volkanovsky bury his forehead, or the top of his head anyway, into the fence, but then kind of leave his back exposed. And the reason why he was able to do that, it's a long story, but, but the traditional defense is you actually have to leave one shoulder up against it because it prevents them from taking the back, but it actually makes it easier for you to get mat returned. Uh, but when you do what Volkanovsky did, this sort of like weird thing where you're actually open, it makes it easier for your back to get taken, and his back was taken twice in this fight, I believe. Uh, but it makes it a lot harder for you to get mat returned. He had some interesting anti-grappling stuff like that that there really is no name for. They, him and his team just kind of figured it out ahead of time. The Sumigeshi, which we pointed out as well, which enabled him to reverse. He had all of those things, and his strength was there as well. He's good at underhooking. Like, all of those things were pretty interesting, but it wasn't like he was able to, in the middle of the fight, take stuff away as nimbly as you might imagine. He was able to pick up on rehearsed stuff yeah. that was really had excellent foresight. Uh, in the same way, Islam was able to, I thought, you know, obviously his counterpunching, going over the top of his jab, going over the top uh, of his cross, uh, going over the top of that. He would do that switch cross all the time, or the switch, switch hook, I should say. And, and Islam read that thing a mile away. He would go to the body. He'd go over the top. You saw later Islam go knees up the middle, which caught him. Obviously, he was able to reach and grab because there's a height disparity. So there was both guys had good ideas about how to attack the other one. But what I did not see was a ton of second or third order things that got them to the next level. I think Saturday is going to be the day where they debut, so to speak, their new ideas. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, it just adds so much extra intrigue to the rematch, as does the last minute elements of it. I want to stay with this, Luke, because I'm curious the way that, you know, you're a brilliant mind and you see this. I've wrong. Look, I say. I speak prematurely into the microphone without fully thinking through my thoughts, Luke. I end up on dead wrong a lot and get tongue-tied and twisted. I've said at times that Volkanovski wrestled with Islam on an even level in the first fight, which isn't true, that he's neutralized, he surprised us by neutralizing the wrestling of Mahachev, which upon third watch of the fight also isn't true. What he did do was not get dominated by the wrestling, and that was the big part. That was the key reveal that that Alex could raise, level up his game to even this level to where, you know, he didn't necessarily lose the fight because of that. But is that statement even true in the end? Basically, what I'm trying to ask you is how much did Islam win the first fight by wrestling as opposed to striking, in your opinion? I would think if you really look at what won him that fight... Round four is big because he had the back the entire time. And there definitely were other moments where wrestling was key. Um, I think in the eyes of the judges, wrestling won him that fight. I think when you're examining the complete record, it's a little closer to 50-50. I mean, again, the big surprise, the big surprise was how well Islam did on the feet and conversely how well Volkanovsky did with the wrestling, right? that was These were the two big surprises. And... You go back and you watch what Islam did, dude. Like, remember, he dropped Charles Oliveira and then finished him off. Then first with a strike to set up the submission, but then a strike to take him off uh, off of his feet. And he dropped Volkanovski in this fight, landed good shots on him the entire time. How many times do you remember Volkanovski nodding, being like, okay, good shot? Yeah. This happened repeatedly through the course of that fight. So I do think a fair assessment is 50-50, but if you're getting like... How do you get a 48-47 scorecard for Islam? You get that by kind of noticing more of what he was doing in the grappling department 
than I think overall in the striking. I, I, but, I don't see how else did, you can do that. But did that aggressive grappling tire him out for round five? Yes, it's, it's, yes it, it yeah. did. It did. Holding the back the way he did. I mean, you could make an argument. What if he was – now, holding the back with the body triangle, that does wear you out. Okay? But you have to think about it, too. Like, if he didn't get the back in round four, how, how done was he? It's an interesting question, right? He might have been, you know, in bad shape there. He was able to, like, be tired, but at least just, you know, isometrically hold the lock. Because once he was on his... Like, I mean, think about it this way, right? In the fifth way, BC, fifth round, he was on his back for, what, a couple of minutes or more? Something like that? Do we really believe that if he had full energy, Islam is just going to prefer to work from guard? Fuck no, man. He punted. (laughs) He punted. He punted. (laughs) You know, he was tired as shit. He punted. And this is what I mean about the weight cut being like, what's the biggest X factor? Motherfucker, that weight cut. Yeah. That weight cut. If he doesn't have that weight cut dialed in, he is in trouble. I believe that. Now, like, it's weird. It's like when you look back in hindsight at Habib versus Iaquinta, Iaquinta raging Al, because that was also a last-minute booking after as crazy a fight week as you ever could have. So all of those elements are still in play. But Habib absolutely dominated the first three rounds on the ground and then looked absolutely human getting picked apart by strikes in the final two rounds by Al that it's like in hindsight do you say also with that he didn't because look Luke the more we come to terms with wrestling the more we realize that as dominant as somebody can look in a stretch with it it's not a 25 minute sustainable operation unless you are you know a different level of human and even the great Habib in the Iaquinta fight, like, visibly was drained. He almost looked like Curtis Blades in the third round against Volkov a couple times, right? I mean, like, it's it's hard to... If you can't turn that wrestling dominance into a threat to end the fight, if you're fighting somebody who has an elite gas tank, an elite will, next-level adaptive skills, which Volkanovski does... It could it could come back to haunt you. Did you ever yes. expect to see round four and five go the way it did after watching the first three in the Habib fight against Al? No, right? Like, but that happens, man. It can um, happen. And the other part too is when you think about the control <clears throat> positions that Islam got and the weight that they deserve. You know, not more than it deserves, but appropriately weighting it. If there is a criticism of it, BC, it's like, remember, he had the back for what? Like, I don't know, almost four minutes or something. I think it was like three minutes and 45 seconds in round four. But think about the other control positions that he had, whether he had a tight waist around the back, whether he had one hook in, you know, and he was trying to dog a static handcuff on the other side. Just sort of think about these positions. How many of them involve, A, a serious submission attempt? You know, there's a couple of times where he was straining the neck where maybe it could have gotten through, but not really. There wasn't a lot of it. And how many times do you remember him having thunderous ground and pound with it? Not much. Not much. The thing that got it for him was that he was able to, like, either keep it a long time or it was so, like, the back so advantageous where you just kind of have to give it to him. But, like, he didn't use those positions with tons of damage or fight-ending scenarios that came with them. I don't, you know... Who I don't know who the king of the rematch is, BC, because we've seen, obviously, Volkanovski do it effectively very well. We're going to get a good look at what Islam can do with a situation like this. So I don't know who the oh, answer man. is. But Volkanovski get... looks real good in rematches, man. He looks real good when he gets second, third opportunities. So like, we're going to find look, out. If you're gonna pl- Again, if you're going to play up his chances and lean into an underdog upset pick, you certainly have to make certain leaps, like the kind of leaps I made for... Jermel Charlo that just didn't turn out to be realistic despite the clues and the evidence I felt that I had. 
if you could put <coughs> confidence on any mere mortal human <laughs> don't you go dying on me i would yeah of course i would put that confidence on volk that he could so i want to ask you the same question i did but flip it to striking you would already you could say though considering that he briefly knocked down mahachev and also wobbled him early with some beautiful combination punching volk got the better of the striking in the first fight that's an accurate statement correct no no he not didn't the, not the better of you're saying it's even I think Islam did the better striking in the first fight, yeah. I think he was better basically on both dimensions. Now, let me just be clear about what I'm saying to the point you raised earlier. For example, for example, Max Holloway fought Frankie Edgar. I think Max won that fight 50-45. But, like, what's the difference between what Max and, and Frankie was doing round over round? Barely anything. Not much, right? But in the end, it accumulated that way. I'm not telling you that Volkanovski didn't have moments in the stand-up. He did. And, of course, I'm not at all telling you he didn't have moments in the grappling. He did. But who did the better work in either dimension? It's Islam to me. I mean, I don't know how, that's how you get a 4-1 score. You just look at what he was able to do. Um, so that 4-1 yeah, I, score. I think, you, you I, think, I think the guy who did the better striking overall definitely was Islam Makachev. Really? I mean, yeah. I certainly love the big counter shots. I just felt like... I don't know. I felt like Alex had to have an answer on the ground to set up an opportunity for his striking to shine. I thought he had enough of an answer on the ground, and I thought he won the key moments of the striking. But look, it was close. I preferred Mahachev. So did you. We'll see it again. Uh, Mikey Mormoff, CBS Sports, of course, our great producer. Mikey, could you play? I want to tee up a clip here of Volkanovsky talking to the media yesterday and just explaining his whole mindset behind this whole dare to be great opportunity. Could be his last chance at a second belt, a second division for all we know, but damn, is he walking head on into that? Let's listen. I think they'll still go through the process of, is Charles fighting? You know, maybe they'll go through the process of uh, that cut happening because I didn't get told that he was out. They said something was going on. Um, can I do it? And then um, you know, I talked to my, my manager, hit me up and I was like, yeah, I guess we can. You know what I mean? I'll go, you do your part, I'll do mine. Like, it was pretty much that easy. Obviously, we had to go back and forth. That was more on, you know, more on negotiation sides. But um, me taking the fight was uh, pretty much straight away. Yeah, we did that. And um, it just then they did uh, they did the rest. But, um, you know, you don't need to know that. So I literally called up my, my team and said, uh, looks like I'm fighting in uh, 12 days. Uh, can we please rally up some of the troops and uh, do a fight simulator, do a meat grinder? And then uh, literally, that's what happened. So I'm lucky enough to have a team like that that literally got the phone call. All right, we'll be there. So uh, this was a couple of hours after I got the phone call. I went and did a fight simulator. <laughs> that's how quickly this all happened. Chat to the family and Emma. I mean, we both just had smiles on our face. I don't know why. I mean, I think she knew that I was chewing at the bit to get back out there. You know, I mean, uh, having to wait till January. I was literally doing, doing my head in for a bit. But then um, this come and then I had a, a smile and you couldn't wipe the smile off my face. And she's seen that. I think she felt that. And she goes, I think this is meant to be. So, and, and that's what I felt. And then we're like, okay, let's do it. Oh, God, that gives me goosebumps. Obviously, that's not from the media day. That was from a pre-workout before uh, get traveling and getting for this. But, Luke, there are the fight stats from their first meeting at UFC 284, unanimous decision win for Islam Mahachev. What jumps out to you when looking at this? Yeah, obviously a couple things. Takedowns, four of nine for Islam Mahachev. That's a lot. The control time is a lot as well. 
by the way, that's a little weird that they have Volkanovski with the knockdown because it was actually just a pushdown. It wasn't a real. It wasn't a great knockdown. And it was actually Makachev that sat Volkanovsky to a knee. But okay, neither here nor there. The bigger one standing out to me is the volume that Volkanovsky threw. I think this is what's tripping people up. Yes, his volume was greater. A lot of those were inside cut kicks. And they are strikes that matter. It's not, I'm not here to tell you that they don't. But again, the effective striking to me, these stats don't really help you in that regard. So it's just something to think about. All right, let me ask you a key question off of here. You see 0 for 4 on takedown attempts from Volkanovski in that first fight. I think it was his third one that he came the closest with, and he surprised Islam with it, and he almost got it. But look, you're facing Mahachev. But what was a big narrative escalation in that first fight? It was the great work of Coach No Spears, Craig uh, Jones, who you saw yes. in that video, and how he helped Alex level up in certain parts of his wrestling game. Is there even more room for that relationship to have flourished from that fight? Can we expect it all? Maybe questionable to ask this considering the short turnaround. He may not have a full gas tank, so why the hell would he wrestle? Could he surprise Islam with key takedowns at all? Could he level up to that level where this is actually a thing? So I think it's possible if the fight goes long. When they're both fresh, I think the kind of thing that Craig Jones can offer is much more on the defensive end. How to get out of submissions, right? You remember heard him, you heard him yelling shoulder, shoulders when Brian Ortega had him in that mounted guillotine about what he was trying to do, you know? So um, if they're both fresh inside the first 15 minutes or relatively fresh, it's just very hard for me to believe he's going to be able to both take down Islam and, here's the kicker, hold him there long enough for him to be able to do anything meaningful with it, right? Now, if he knocks him down, well, that is different. Of course, he could then take advantage of a dazed opponent, and then it's anybody's fight. But I think later in the fight, I mean, you just look at the fifth round of their first fight. You know, Islam elected to stay on his back, but he was done. He was donezo. And it was actually Volkanovsky who kind of just pounded on him from there. I just think you have to be realistic. Remember, not only is this a 12-day notice or whatever you want to say for Volkanovsky, uh, you know, he got the call. He was a 181. He has to only get down to 155, not 145. That's still a tremendous amount of weight he has to lose, right? Like, even if you're unprepared in terms of what your VO2 max is because you don't have your cardio where it's supposed to be, whatever you do have is also going to be affected by, you know, this kind of a dramatic weight loss. So it's just, you know, it's just very hard for me to believe he's going to be able to hold down and hurt at the same time Volkanovsky, excuse me, Makachev if they're both fresh by contrast BC we saw it in the first fight Makachev can hold down or whatever you know manipulate Volkanovsky can't do much with it it's later in the fight where that could be what you're talking yeah. about a more prominent situation and the fact that I'm asking that question only speaks really to the greatness of Alex and the idea that each step of the way he's constantly proved me wrong and shown me that there's just extra layers to what makes him great so, look, if Alex wins this, that's what this is going to be all about. The pound-for-pound pound king who seems to be ready to knock on the upper room door of history to sort of kick the door down. We know the spinoff opportunities. Heck, we prophesied two days ago in a DMs from Donks about, well, or whatever it was about, like, could this lead to a Connor fight? I mean, like, God, we know the, endless, the possibilities are endless for Volk. But, Luke, on the flip side... What does Islam earn here? It's not nothing. I mean, you I mean, you know, second win over Volkanovski, good God, that's everything. But like what's really tangibly at stake for him in this one? I want to say something before I answer that question, if I may, BC. 
I have seen folks say, hey, Volkanovsky's got nothing to lose. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's not true at all. Guys, if he goes in there <clears throat> and, you know, let's just say he's hiding another injury because he took it on short notice and didn't tell anybody and can't do something and ends up getting clipped with a big shot and then finished off inside two rounds. I don't think this is likely, but, you know, you can't rule it out. Let's say that that happens. He's now 35 years old, I believe, BC. I think he crossed over into the 35-year-old territory. You would have then lost, at least for the champion, in, in terms of Makachev, back-to-back fights to that guy, and he had the one in between. That would probably be the end of, is, or excuse me, that would be the end in all likelihood of Volkanovski's ability to go get champ-champ status. That's probably going to be the end of it. Now, you want to tell me, failing twice at that, however fair or unfair that process might have been, you want to tell me that's not going to affect his legacy? Yes, it is. Yeah, 100% yes, it is. That's not true at all. Now, of course, it doesn't in any way affect his featherweight legacy. That remains perfectly intact no matter the result. But his overall pound-for-pound place and his overall place in the pantheon of great fighters, if he were to lose and lose considerably here to Islam, that would have a dramatic impact on how we evaluate his legacy. So folks out there saying, oh, Volk's got nothing to lose, you are only just kidding yourself. You're not kidding anybody else. That's fair. That's first. That's fair, That's but first. it's wor- but you would say, it's God, is it worth the gamble if you know this fight's not easy to be made? I just turned 35 three and a half weeks ago. Damn, Luke Thomas's stat. I can't believe he saw that f- fight 49 <laughs> times when I fought Max that second time. Um, a lot of things he's probably thinking, but dude, like... I don't know. There's so many parts about this fight that I, I like. I grant that the calculus of wanting to take the fight probably makes it a, a reasonably justifiable decision. Oh, and for the money. And, and the money probably. And the money, exactly. It. Like, there might be actually very good reasons for taking it. And I want to be clear it doesn't in any way affect for me his featherweight legacy, which is basically he's the best to ever do it. Okay. Doesn't change that at all. But you cannot tell me that if you try twice and fail twice, to get a, a champ champ status and now you're crossed over by 35 it's probably curtains for you to get that belt that will have an impact on his legacy no matter what on the on the islam side dude you know what has blown me away the negative attitudes towards islam on social media that i have seen that i just have a hard time at least well, that's not quite true i had a hard time understanding this week I asked folks on Twitter, why is there such a negative Islam sentiment? And part of it is, you know, like Habib propped this guy up and he doesn't have half of Habib's charisma, which is true. Uh, A lot of other folks are saying, you know, well, hey, the Kadyrov ties aren't great, but it's like, yeah, but you still love Justin Gaethje and Henry Cejudo and all those other guys. So, you know, spare me that bullshit. Like, yes, I don't like that stuff either, but the selective outrage about it doesn't pass muster. Fine. Uh, or it's that the last thing, BC, that some of these guys kind of feel like he had an easy march to the title, you know, the Tiago Moiseses and the Bobby Greens of the world. Yeah. And there are some folks who feel like, you know, maybe Volkanovsky should have won. They're, they kind of look at this guy a little bit like an imposter, a little yeah, bit like, right. like and it's, you're asking, what does he have to, to beat? If This won't end the haters, BC, but if he can go in there and give a very strong showing of himself, it's going to quiet some of them down, at least for a little while. Absolutely, that's and I think that's inevitable when you're sort of, you get the rub of a, of a fa- you know, a large star right before you. And I mean, the handover here was real quick from Habib's like sudden retirement to Islam taking the throne. And I think you know, it's it's the same thing with Tank Davis. Like even though Tank Davis has obviously all the the law issues, and you can love him or hate him for that, 
Everybody loves him now as a fighter, as an entertainer. He's a crossover celebrity, show up at the fight's dream. But like a lot of people hated him on the way up and were sort of cheering against him just because Floyd put the arm around him and was like, I promote him. This is my guy. So people are, you know, are naturally sort of like, well, is he even that good? Well, God, he proved he is that good. Canelo had to do the same thing getting out of Oscar's shadow early on, too. That just comes with that territory. But yeah, I like the way Islam handles himself in general, even when he says kind of talking a little trash at yesterday's media day that, look, Volkanovsky only did this for the money. It's he's not about the honor and the legacy like me. He's about the money. Like, I still look at that as, you know, that's a real man up there who sort of handles himself from a sports standpoint, in my opinion, an ideal way. And he's a badass fighter on top of that. I mean, look, when I I rewatch a lot um key moments that fire me up or, or touch the heart, right? Like Rose yelling, I'm a, you know, I'm the mother effing best with Pat and her family. I mean, that, that's just, it's inspirational. It's incredible. Have you watched again Islam's post-fight speech from the title win against Oliveira that some, that's been making the rounds again on IG lately? I've with not. Like, with dramatic music playing in the background as he shouts out, Abdul Manap, you know, the late coach and father of Habib, and then eventually puts the title over Habib's shoulder and is like, I only have this because of you and your father. It's like the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate reverence, respect, Bushido, you're my family. Like, let's carry on your dad's legacy. I can't believe I'm here. I'm only here. Like, that shit goosebumped me. Like, dude, I don't know how you could hate unless you're leaning, I guess, on... Kadyrov pictures or whatever, or or he's just that foreign, you know, Habib 2.0, and I hated Habib, so I hate this guy. Unless it's that, dude, he's a he's a blue collar, humble destroyer. You know what I'm saying? Like he might not have Triple G's personality, but they're they're built the same way. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, dude, words like honor, discipline, glory these are words to most of the population they don't really concretely mean anything because they never really touch their lives in that way they never really seek those things in that way it doesn't guide them and mold them and turn them into something better they're just words people use in the language but to guys like islam makachev and of course he's not the only one guys like volkanovsky too guys like volkanovsky too but you are talking about islam here got words like honor glory, discipline. These are the guiding principles about how an entire life must be lived. They live quite literally live and die by it. And so when they achieve something of substantial, um, you know, accomplishment and whatnot, the first thing that these guys do is talk about their humility and gratitude for everybody else. I'm not here to tell you that Islam is a perfect human being. Again, we just sort of went over some of the things that are less savory or interesting about him. But at the same time, you have to at least look at the work ethic that this guy has. And when he says these kinds of things, unlike for most people, they aren't words. They are the things at which that your life is defined by every day, all day, the entire time. Well, very, very well said. And I think it's not just a second victory over Volkanovsky. I think it shuts up the people who... Well, look, this is what Islam said at the media day yesterday, you know, talking about the scoring of, uh, I mean, not the scoring of the fight, the voting of the pound for pound, him saying, and it's understandable, we had a number one versus number two. I beat the guy everybody thought was number one, and yet I'm still number two. Well, Luke, even with the last minute nature of here, and remember, Islam also has last minute adjustments to make, 
I think that quiets that. I mean, you're fighting for pound for pound kingship, right? I mean, this is what it's all about. This is bigger than any title, bigger than any sack of money or pay-per-view buys. You're fighting the best fighter in the world to a ch for a chance to be called that. That's really what's at stake here for him. Yeah, and again, going back to it, we already talked about what Volkanovski risks if he loses. People saying it's nothing is just simply not true. But on the other side, if he does break through, if he does get this belt, 12 days or not, dude, you could give somebody 120 days. Most dudes in the world at 155 are never going to beat Islam Makachev. They're never even going to get close. They're even going to get close to the opportunity to even fight him, much less get back-to-back -back opportunities, again, insofar as Islam is concerned. Uh, so if he goes and does this, BC, I mean, we should just be very honest about it. I'm not sure if it puts him on MMA's Mount Rushmore. I don't, I don't know that it does. But holy fucking shit, man, it gets him very, very yeah. close. You go and pull off what Volkanovsky's attempting on Saturday, folks, and there is simply no denying you're looking at one of the handful of best fighters to ever do it. He is attempting the near impossible, and if anybody can pull it off, it is him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's already incredible what he's built in terms of names and defenses. But I think bigger than that, you're watching a fighter who's getting better every single fight, even though he's now 35, which means he should be disqualified from ever defending a title or winning a title again under that stat that only Tyron Woodley has figured out. But, um, I mean, look, it's 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 Chad Mendes by knockout. It's Jose Aldo by just basically forcing him to not try. It's three wins over Max Holloway. It's Brian Ortega in a hellacious fight where he had to survive stuff, right? It's it's Yair Rodriguez, and I rewatched that fight, and outside of that short pocket of strikes that Yair landed, which led to the inevitable finish on the ground, like, Volk kicked the shit out of him. That's not oh, hyperbole, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like, that's not hyperbole. And that guy was the interim champion, and we're like, he's finally figured it out. He could beat anybody in the world. So, yeah, it's hard for me not to say that although these are major obstacles that he's going to face entering this challenge, not only that it's worth it, but that if anybody can adjust, adjust and do it. I mean, he's way too small to be this much of a badass. We all thought he was a point fighter who just did foot patterns. I know you were one of the guys that were way ahead of it. Uh, Brandon Wise as well from CBS Sports, my editor too. But like, it took me a while to, to realize how great he was. How is he that small, yet he's morphing into a finishing striker now i say morphing he got tkz just you know overwhelmed him over time with damage he finished uh yair on the ground do i believe he's gonna amp up and walk in there and knock out islam with one punch well no not likely but i can't even believe that like we'd even be at that discussion level he really got that great in every single category i mean it's it's like this is peak of the profession right here. This is I mean this just is, under, just understand like this is one difference between Islam and Volkanovsky to this point which is Volkanovsky in the way in which he fights I think um not just changed the game but like pulled the game up a level. Yes. In terms of like what he showed he was capable of. And that's just at 145. Again, he goes into this at 155. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just you're just talking about a handful of the best guys to ever do it. So like the greatest accomplishment that I think you can say for somebody, or at least one of them anyway, is that you know when you were competing, not just were you a high achiever, but did you actually advance the game? And I think he did. I think he has actually made the game better by virtue of the tools, strategies, and tactics that he employs, which are frankly the reason why he has success is they are ahead of their time. 
He, he yeah. is he is ahead of all the 145 guys, including Max, which breaks my heart to say, but it is true. And that's why he is able to enjoy the success. He is a marvel in that way. And he was miles ahead of Max in that third fight, which is that just a really bad night for Max? Painful, yeah. well, that was painful, yeah. I mean, painful like thing. miles. All right, part of what, to switch back uh, to Islam, that whole debate about the pound for pound, it wasn't just people like me scoring Volkanovski as number one despite the loss in a head-to-head matchup. UFC also put John Jones at number one after his comeback win against Gon. We have sound here of Islam talking about that. Dana White said that he's going to put your quote on the wall at the UFC Apex. I'm curious what you think about that, that your words are going to be there forever. You know, this is what UFC champion have to do. Like a real champion. If you're a real champion, you have to take this. Take fight, doesn't matter how many days, who is going to be not like your pound-for-pound pound champion when they give him chills on him. If you're real champion, you have to fight. They put him number one, the number one guy right now, who is beat, who he beat last five fight. We don't have some name from top pound-for-pound pound rankings. And I just want to say about the rankings, about all these things, this is it. I'm I'm not full of anymore. Number one bullshit, Luke is what he should have said, right? Taking yeah. shots at taking shots at bones, bro. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I just find all that stuff bullshit. I just find it complete bullshit. I mean, I get why these guys say it. You know, maybe they believe it. I don't know, but like, on what planet is it true that champions should fight anyone on any kind of notice? This is just a thing. This is a thing champions do. Okay, so here, let me help everyone who's a child out there. Here in the real world, there's a reason why for championship fights, we try to give them max lead time because that's what's required to beat other guys who are basically that good. Um, so this is what I'm trying to explain to people. Like, would it be... Not miraculous is a strong word, but would it be pretty goddamn amazing if Volkanovsky wins? Yes, for no other reason than he was by his own choice, but ultimately denied this lead time to do it. Like, it's just not true. This is a thing champions either should do or like by honor have to do. That's this is a promoter putting on a sock puppet and saying champions should take these kinds of fights. No, champions. Uh, in all likelihood, should not take fights like that. But they do, and you know we're lucky for it, I suppose. Well, the last-minute change also forces UFC to hurry up and change the messaging and the marketing and the fight posters and the countdown and all that. I believe we have a an animation here of some kind that they're using to promote this fight. Let's watch and react. Yeah, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that. That's, a, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool if you can see it and you're not in prison in the United Arab Emirates for criticizing the government. But if, but if you're not that and you actually can go, it's super cool, you know? You know what? For all the love that we rightfully give to divorced mothers, Luke, that listen to this show, and uh, do, we, we, do we have anyone incarcerated that's a, that's a fan and like has wow. to catch MK every week? Do you think what so? What a great question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because I'd love know to set world... up, 
would that be out of taste if I set up like a weekly Zoom po- portion of our show <laughs> where we catch we catch up in the can with our biggest uh, locked up MK fan or something? Yeah, but like, what would it ta- like? What kind of crimes would you be okay with them committing? That's a good but point. Also still being because cool then we've got to play judge and jury and try to judge other people's sins when yeah. you know. Well, he just stole a lot of cars. All right, that's cool with us. That's fine. Hey, what if he stole my car, dickhead? <laughs> <laughs> He stole a lot of organs out of people's bodies, but they had it coming, you know? Yeah, all right. Uh, there we go. Hey, Luke, topic number two. Let's keep this great show going. By the way, this- by the way last thing on this, both uh, the cop and the insurance lady were both like, well, in the circumstances like yours, we have a high belief of confidence your car will be returned. It's been three days, BC. My phone yeah. hasn't rung, let me tell you. You'll get. You'll probably get a piece of it in the mail and a, with a horse yeah. head. Yeah, you ain't getting that shite back. Let's go to topic number two. UFC 294's co-main event is also new and also fantastic. Former welterweight champion Kamaru Usman will make his middleweight debut in a number one contender's fight against the red-hot Hamza Chemaev. Red-hot has been watered down at times by COVID battles, injuries, visa issues, and uh, that whole weight fiasco against Nate Diaz. But, Luke, I went back and watched uh, Hamzat fights the last couple nights just sitting around in the, in the eighth row, and holy shit, has he been destructive from start to finish. Really, you know, the Gilbert Burns brawl is so fun to watch, but, like, every other th- moment is just... It's not just domination, man. It's aggressive, like... Just it's mean. nasty. It's mean. It's fucking mean as shit. All right. So he's going to fight Kamaru Usman. Dana White says yes. The title is at stake for the winner. A title shot against Sean Strickland, the new champion. But according to Kamaru Usman this week at Media Day, this is not necessarily a middleweight reinvention. Here's his quote. No, no, absolutely not finished that welterweight. And what a way to go out. I might just mic drop, grab the middleweight belt, go down and grab the welterweight belt, and then mic drop. What a way to go out. I want both. I've always wanted champ champ. But what a way to do it, to go get the top one and then come back down again. No one's ever done that. Heck, look, at 36, coming off of two losses to Leon Edwards after winning 15 consecutive UFC fights to put him at number one pound for pound and put him one away from Anderson Silva's win streak record. Luke, just two fights ago, Kamaru was the best fighter in the world. But now he's 36 with knee issues up a division. I get what he's saying there about I ain't done here. You'll see me back at welterweight. I want him to be motivated. I want all of that. But, like, is it a pipe dream to expect Usman to come in here and fight on on equal terms with Chemayev? Like, that's straight up. That's my key question here. Pipe dream is a strong word. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, to your point, two fights ago held a belt. So, pipe dream, I don't think so. I would say, again... If you had perfect circumstances where each of these guys had two to three months to prepare for each other, my enthusiasm for this would be a little bit higher than it probably is. Uh, Kamar Usman did not, in my mind, look great in the rematch with uh, Edwards. He looked, or I should say the third fight, right? Because they had the one many years ago. Yeah, what do you make of the majority decision? What do you make of that, that being a majority decision? Um, Yeah, I don't really agree. I thought Edwards was clearly better. Uh, again, everyone's judging in real time, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. But upon further review is the way I would say it, like the NFL referees, um, yeah, I thought he didn't look great. He didn't look terrible. I mean, I'm not saying he looked like some you know ass or something, but he did not look quite like himself that he had 
um, a few fights ago. And so, you know, 36 is natural to get old. 36 at 170 is a tough place to get old. It's, I think, a little bit less so in general 185, but probably very costly in a fight like this where you have a much younger, insanely aggressive opponent. Um, you know, I think the deterioration of some of his physical condition, not his cardiovascular, but his body has been an ongoing issue. It might reach ahead at this point. I don't know if we have the video just yet, uh, BC, but like, again, we go back to it. He's doing this coming off the couch as well up a weight class. Like, yeah, even if you have high confidence, like how is he going to look at 185 BC? I don't know. I don't really know. I, don't know. I mean, is, you know? I want to give him the benefit of the doubt for the experience, for the grit. I mean, look, there's there's reasons why he was as successful as he was. He was special. It's not that he's not special, but what used to make him so special was the dominant wrestling. I don't know if that's sustainable with with bad knees at 36, right? Like, I mean, I'm not in his knees. I don't know that they're bad, but that's the that's the rumor, Luke. That's the sort of black cloud that's lingering over. Oh, and you also have to go up and wait, and you also have to fight this absolute badass savage. Luke, are you of the belief that I have come to that I don't even think wrestling matters in this matchup? I think Hamzat's the better striker by far. And if it stays in that spot, I think he's motivated to prove that against Usman. I think he will, but he's going to have to wrestle. Like, Kamaru's going to make him wrestle, right? I mean, Kamaru, maybe Kamaru slugs it out with him. I guess I'm really not sure. Um, but we've got this video, BC, that I think is so important that well, it kind videos. of affects the rest of the analysis. Okay, are you, are you talking about the weight cut one? Talking about the injury video. It's ready. Okay, so here's the deal. There was a public workout for the UFC 294 in which Justin Gaethje and Usman, Gaethje held pads, Usman worked. But there's belief that if you listen closely, there may be a reference to an Usman injury in there. I haven't heard it yet. I'll hear it in real time with you. Let's go to the videotape. It's hard to hear, BC. Yeah, it, w it was hard for me to hear. I'm trying to find... Uh, but I can tell you what everyone is saying. They're saying are, that Gaethje goes, are you okay? And Usman says, apparently quite audibly, no, something popped. Okay. Um, in his knee, I'm going to imagine, uh, because that's been the issue. And if you look how he gets up from that, he gets up real gingerly with one leg not really bending, the other one doing all of the weight for him. It, 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 let me just say this. If his knee is fucked up on 12 days notice, it's borderline impossible for him to beat Hamzat Shermayev. Borderline impossible. Like, like he's going to get knocked out. I'm telling you, he's going to get knocked out. I'm going to tell you right or now. Or get his back taken or, you know, yeah. choked out or something. Like, if you can't move. I mean, think about this, BC. When Shemaev is doing what he's doing, and he's moving downhill, and he's throwing, and then he's got one of the best level changes I've ever seen. I mean, he goes from way high to way low like fucking lightning he gets down there. At a bare minimum, if you're going to challenge some of this in the wrestling department, you have to be able to move. You have to be able to get down block. You have to be able to get your hips back, sprawl. you got to move. you got to cut angles, everything, hand fight, the whole nine yards. If your knee is not going to allow you to move, Dude, you're fucked. You're completely fucked. You're you cannot beat him if there's anything like what this video seems to indicate about his knee. 
Holy crap. So uh, Shaquille Missouri of CBS Sports, Luke, has confirmed that's what that what you're saying is true, that it audibly you can hear that something popped. Now, are we are we going overboard? I don't know. We're going to find out, right? Let's look at the odds right now. Hey, Luke, how about our friends at FanDuel, right? FanDuel Sportsbook that are the fuel behind Friday's OK Bet segment. Plus 220, Usman, minus 295, Chemaev. Even if you take away the speculative injury talk, is he an older fighter? Yes. Is there wear and tear? Yes. And now you're moving up in weight and you're fighting this guy right there. There's the tail of the tape. Two-inch height advantage for Chemaev. One-inch reach advantage, though, for Kamaru. But, I mean, Luke, when you hit that wall, sometimes that wall is 35. But how about the guy that beat that stat? The only guy to beat your 35 and under stat at welterweight and under is Tyron Woodley, who made two defenses. But when it was over for Tyron Woodley, dude, it was over. Right. Luke, it was it was like Hennon Burrell over, like Johnny Hendricks over. Like that guy's never walking through that door again, the same version. I, dude, I'm really believing that this is where Kamaru's at. But I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he's going to find the wrong guy at the wrong time. Yes, storylines make sense. Yes, if Usman pulls the upset, it would make sense to rematch Strickland, who he already beat, and you can get some... Great storyline potential there. But storylines don't don't win these fights, Luke Thomas, okay? Realistic uh, violence does. Yes, and also, just again, it wasn't like they had, like, just think about Kamaru's situation. When was the last time you saw a guy lose his belt, go up a weight class on short notice, and then win in a number one, you know, some kind of roughly equivalent bout? I'm trying to yes. think. I mean, I'm sure there's been one. But nothing really stands out. Like by the time you're dethroned, it usually is indicative. Like, there's a reason why you're dethroned because the pack has caught up with you. Yes. Going up a weight class. <laughs> now, granted, Chimaev has fought at 170 as well. But okay, going up a weight class on short notice, potentially very badly injured. Dude, like, what about any of that is a recipe for success? Now, yes. I'll say this: the X factor here. We talked about the weight cut being the X factor for the main event. You have to agree, BC. I don't think it's the likeliest outcome, but sometimes Chemayev fights like a donk. I mean, he just fights one like time. an absolute juggalo. One time, right? One time in the UFC, has he? One time. And okay, he was to prove but it was also point. the best opponent he's ever faced, too. Sure. Right? I mean, sure. that's that's the reality. Gilbert's a real deal, Holyfield. Great point. Great point. And so, you know, he, again, now if, if Kamaru's compromised, then, you know, you're just not even going to get a real version of Kamaru, much less whatever. But I'm just saying, he can at times fight recklessly, and okay, for that reason, let's see what happens. But of all the ways to go into fighting Kamaru Usman, going in on late notice, injured, up a weight class, seems like the worst fucking thing the you worst. could do. And look, I don't want to do MMA math with you because it doesn't always work and styles do make fights. But like, what do you think would be the odds right now if Kevin Holland fought Kamaru Usman at welterweight? What would be the odds? Kamaru would be the favorite. Right? Yeah, but would you be surprised if Holland could beat him, especially if if Kamaru is not the same guy? I oh. wouldn't I wouldn't favor Holland to beat him, but I don't know that I would be surprised if that okay, makes sense. Okay, well, MMA math, we saw what Chemayev did to Holland and turned him into a urinal cake, right? Made him look like all the other guys <laughs> okay, so he did the that's same That's a little strong. I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think he urinated on him, but okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, R. Kelly was notwithstanding here. No disrespect. You know I love Kevin Holland, but my point is, like, man, we've seen him against a certain level of competition. Not all world beaters, but we've seen Holland, uh, we've seen Chemayev, including that middleweight moonlighting opportunity against Mearshart, where, dude, he, I mean, he, 
Dude, remember he picks up the leash and just dunks him right in front of Dana? And I mean, yeah. like, dude, this guy is aggro. Even with that weird weight miss that's still not fully explained, and uh, you know, I mean, nothing really matters. It, it doesn't need to be fully explained, but I still have weird feelings about that. But this is all just a lot here. Okay, this is a lot. Uh, let's keep it going here, Luke. I want to play real quickly, a video though. Real quickly, of, of real quickly. Usman. Yeah, what do you? Real, got? I have a question for. I have a question for you. Uh, before we move on from this fight, if Usman is able to win and gets a rematch against Sean, Sean Strickland, now again, I'm assuming he, if he gets past this, however likely or unlikely, and he gets a title shot, you know they're going to give him some time to get right in order to do it, probably. Do you favor Kamaru in a situation like that? No. Well, no. Okay, I can't say no. I got to. That would mean he beat Chemaev. So let's see. Right. Let's see. The, the 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 we can't answer that. We cannot answer that. Based on remember, he fought him at think. welterweight, and he just kind of was all over him. And look, I, I want to, yeah, well, I want to put respect on uh, Davison Figueredo, who did what Usman's almost trying to do here. Obviously, wasn't a different weight class, but at 34, Figueredo came back against the guy who had just finished him and won back the title against Moreno. And I, but Luke, that doesn't happen a lot where you lose it at this age and you come back and regain it. It's why we talk about Randy Couture with the reverence that we do right like you just don't see that a lot it's it's right. not easy to pull off final video on this this is kamaru and islam discussing uh size and weight cuts because kamaru's been talking up that man i don't have to drop millions of pounds this is this is fun going up to middleweight let's listen to them chat how you feeling good weights yeah what's up what's up what's up your weight good good I will cut another. I still cut, yeah. Still cut yeah, I, I want to cut. I said I don't want to just be because uh, it's different now. Yeah. Extra 15 pounds, you don't fight with that way. You just want to walk around there. I'll cut a little bit. My way. But like you don't have to drink no, no, too no. much water. No, 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 not too much. <laughs> yeah, look, he's he's a welterweight right now. Damn. Look, bro, you're bigger than me. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Yes. You know what? I think we're talking about the wrong super fights here in all the variations we've been talking about related to this card. Why are we not talking about that if Mahachev can land a second straight victory over Volkanovsky, which you package that with the Oliveira one, and we can slow down any idea that he doesn't have a great resume, although it, it's, you know, it's not crazy deep. Him against Chemayev for the middleweight championship? Damn. No, how about right? this? Dude, how about this? We didn't talk about this in the main event, but there's the other angle. And he's kind of already been kind of chirping about it. If Makachev goes in there and beats Volkanovsky a second time, and let's say, you know, good enough to restore confidence, whatever that means, dude, he's going to want the winner of Edwards and Covington. For sure he's going to want that. And I got to tell you, I don't hate that fight necessarily. I really don't. I, I, it's not my favorite. I, I don't love it. But he might have earned it. He might have earned it. But is that, like... I'm just. I just asked Mahachev to go up two weight divisions, right? So yeah, that, a, I mean, you're just you're just doing Robert Whitaker versus John Jones bullshit. Okay. I mean, that's so, just, you're just saying yeah. things. Okay, what if they met at like a? What if they met at like a between lightweight and welterweight? Or no, I guess you can't do that because Hamzat can't prove that he's making welterweight. Okay, what yeah. if you did it at welterweight? I don't know. What if I shut up, Luke? How about that? All right, exactly. let's keep it going here, Luke. The rest of UFC 294 doesn't suck, so let's hit this big one: Magomed Ankalaev against Johnny Walker. Uh, Ankalaev has not fought since that vacant title draw against Jan Blahovich. 
It didn't seem like he was in great terms with the UFC afterwards. You remember Kadyrov came off publicly on Twitter and on X and attacked Dana White and said, like, be in control of your situation, which basically means rig it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Change the decision back to Magomed Ankalaev. But Luke, 23 of 25 scoring media members, according to that scoring website, did have Ankalaev winning, although it was not exciting. Mm -mm. If he beats Johnny Walker on Saturday, he's still... That that boogeyman at the end of the uh, at the end of the line in this division potentially he still could be that guy for all the talk of Prohatska, Jamal Hill, Poetan. I mean, this is a great this is a fun division. Not great, but it's a really fun division now, dude. Ankalaev's not going anywhere. So here's the thing. I mean, we had kind of all thought he was inevitable, and he underperformed a little bit. He underperformed in not just the Blahovich fight. He underperformed, I think, in the Santos fight as well. Right, where he just kind of went the whole distance. You're like, dude, couldn't you do more with this shit? And he just didn't. And then he really underperformed against Blahovich, although I also agree I thought he won. But he got leg kicked like a motherfucker until he just decided to wrestle. And then it was like, why didn't you do this earlier, Dingleberry? Like, what were you waiting on? So I'll say this, BC, you're right. Not a great division, a fun division. Johnny Walker has, what, I think like a seven-inch reach advantage. That's going to be interesting to see him navigate it, which tells me, BC, is going to be going for the takedown. He's going to be going for the takedown, 60% defensive rate for Johnny Walker, not super strong. Um, obviously, he's big and he's weird, but I think a guy like Ankalaev can get it. And if he can get it, this is his fight to lose. On the feet, Johnny Walker is much improved. He's going to have great range. He's powerful. You know, a guy like Ankalaev can kind of sometimes just want to play on the outside a little bit. So I expect to be this a little bit of a wrestler uh, uh, Ankalaev more than striker Ankalaev. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Minus 390, according to FanDuel, is Ankalaev as your favorite. Johnny Walker, who's put together a win, a win streak that suggests maybe there's still that top-end potential to be crazy dangerous and to break through, is the underdog at plus 280. Uh, so, Luke, um, the Johnny Walker experiment with John Kavanaugh is still going, SBG. It, there were some road road bumps, road, you know, road kills, road schmears, where it didn't seem like you see, you're taking this crazy athletic striker and you're trying to make him wrestle. But I did agree that he does need some well rounding. I just so questioned if he could if he could play that part. Is he playing that part, or do you think overall they're still playing to his strengths? And we could have something here if he pulls an upset over Ankalaev in terms of crashing the party. To me, they weren't turning him into a wrestler. They were turning him into like an outside fighter, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world. The question was not that could they make him an outside fighter. They they turned him into that, but could they make him an outside fighter that could be dangerous? Could you build upon the, the, the fighting a distance, right? In other words, it's easy to fight a distance if you never really fully engage. And that was kind of the problem he had at first. He had a, this new mission, and he didn't really know how to accomplish it. But now... He seems to be a little bit more comfortable at, okay, I can keep range when I want to and close it when I need to on my terms, and I can bring back some of this devastation that was part of my game before. That's actually not very easy to do, and they've done, I would argue, a pretty admirable job of that, um, candidly. So the, the question is, you know, could you do that against Ankalaev, who is a pretty good boxer, who does have pretty good counterboxing as well? Maybe, probably is the answer. But again, I just don't think that's going to be likely. Ankalaev, I think, is going to be all over him like white on rice with pressure and then ultimately takedowns, at least a big part of it. And he's going to, I think, ground and pound him. That's going to be the bigger test for me is Johnny Walker. Because, dude, Johnny Walker's got this big, lanky frame. He's strong, but he doesn't have a great frame where once someone's able to occupy certain parts of the space, it's going to be easy for a guy like that to get it back uh, when you have long limbs like that. I think they're going to test that. 
Yeah, yeah. Luke, uh, you know, the, the more well-rounded fighter doesn't always win. So when we look at this division as a whole, we've got sluggers at the top of light heavyweight. We've got crazy dudes with incredible uh, damage resistance. So anybody can win at any time, and it's getting fun again in the post-John Jones hangover. And let's remember how many action title fights we've had. So with all that said, if Ankalaev steps it up and is just nastier, busier, and more intentional on offense to go along with that wrestling prodigy pedigree, excuse me. Is he even the best fighter in this division? The uncrowned champion still? Is that still an accurate statement? If I, he I, does... I, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one, BC. We, we, we watched that fight, you know, we talked about it on MK, the fight with Blahovich. We were, like, so disappointed in, like, the fight IQ and everything else. I'm willing to believe that Ankalaev has the potential to be that guy, right? When you look at what he can do when he's doing well, it's like, man, he does a lot of this shit really well. However, after such a dispiriting performance against Blahovich, he has to prove that again. So I'm willing to believe he is capable of that, but in a fight like this one where, again, it's like there's a very clear path, I think, in order to, to win that Ankalaev could take, let's see his judgment. Let's see his fight IQ. Let's see his preparation. You, we think, talking to Ankalaev, we think that this guy has this capability, but if he doesn't prove it in a fight like this one or the next one, then maybe we were just assuming he was somebody that he wasn't. He needs to earn that back as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, this is, good. This is a good fight. I look forward to it. And I didn't mention the, the main event odds have been updated here according to FanDuel. Just a reminder, it's plus 200 Volkanovski, minus 265 Mahachev. So a very good top of this card in terms of the top three fights. But what else are you looking at here, Luke, on this 294 pay-per-view event? Got to be the return of Ikram Alaskarov taking on Varley Alves. Again, this was supposed to be Nasurdin Imavov. He fell out, so this is the replacement. Alaskarov does have a loss, as we've talked about, to Chimaev in the regional scene. Um, he got knocked out, but he was able to stop all of Chimaev's takedowns. He looks like a world beater himself. He has improved significantly since that time, a combat sambo world champion. This guy is a... a a top prospect if ever there was one. But BC, more than just that, uh, how about Javed Basharat taking on Victor Henry? Victor Henry, a very good guy of the California fight scene. Javed Basharat and his brother Farid, these are two very well-trained fighters out of Extreme Couture. Javed Basharat, to me, of all the guys who are not in the title picture yet at Bantamweight, but you're looking like who could be one of the next generation of Bantamweight title contenders, Put you can mark me down as Javed Basharat is that guy. Javed oh, Basharat gonna, has... Okay. I'm going to consider adding him to your list uh, of not full mast bone airs, but in terms of the Luke Thomas erection pound for pound list, people enjoyed and rightfully so our room service diaries episode with Eric Nixick that's available now so much that there are people that are claiming I need to readjust my shaft rankings involving your love for MMA and put Nixick potentially number three. After after number one Volk, number two, or no, number one Izzy, number two Volk, number three Eric Nixick on the pound for pound boner list. I got to add this new guy that you just mentioned to like maybe in the on deck circle. On, I'm yeah, sorry. On deck on, circle sorry, again. I'm sorry. So let me get it right. On dick circle. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this. You know, Bantamweight is a tough division. It's a very, very tough division. It's very hard to look at any one person and be like, oh, yeah, they're just going to you know, just gonna destroy everybody else. It doesn't really work that way in Bantamweight. It's very difficult. But if you're asking which one of these guys has a really strong and bright future, I would be shocked 
if it's not Javid Basharat. He looks like he's got everything he needs, just got to put it all together, and he's going to be something special. But Victor Henry, real tough guy. So this is what I mean. It's like as good as I think Basharat is, this is going to be a hard fight for him on Saturday. We'll see how he does. Yeah, I'm looking at that preliminary featured bout that's probably going to be like the ESPN2 main event or whatever. Look, flyweight division, Tim Elliott, quietly has won four or five, and we always know him as a guy who will take big chances, tough as nails, you know, funky ground game and all of that. Uh, But he's actually quietly on a lower level of matchmaking, kind of turned things around. But, dude, 23-year-old Mohamed Mokayev from Dagestan is a punisher. 10-0-1. That's a strong way to put it. Uh, what a punisher that's a strong yeah, way to he's put not it. a pun he's not a punisher well that's his nickname luke so i was playing into that but he's nasty dude he fights with an edge he potentially is a future player in this division he has not beaten elite level guys yet but i like this crossroads matchup right here i think it's going to be fun to watch you're all, you're emotionally removed from this fight wow it's not emotionally removed from the fight it's like dude everyone we're going to do this with rosas jr we're going to do it with mokayev both of those guys are good both of those guys have a very long way to go. The knock on Mokayev is not his wrestling or his heart, of which there is plenty to uh, appreciate. He's got plenty of heart. He's got great cardio. Um, he's got a great team. He's got great ability. It's not that. It's that when he has had position on the ground in general against anybody who's been resisting, he doesn't have any ground and pound at all. Um, that's a that, you know you have to learn how to do these he's kinds of things. He's 23. What if he just chose okay, it this way? Again, okay. I don't grade guys on a curve. You want to fight right. the Tim Elliott's of the world. Either you are ready or you are not. We will find out on Saturday. My only point being is Tim Elliott is squirmy. Tim Elliott, by the way, has gone on the record. Here's an X factor. Gone on the record as saying, I'm going to cheat until a referee warns me or stops me. And why wouldn't you? Because they don't usually do that shit. Even if they warn you, they don't take a point. He has openly said something like that. So, dude, you got a crafty guy. You got a squirmy guy. You got an unorthodox guy. If Mokayev can pass this test, and I think he will, uh, great. But, you know, this is not an easy opponent for a guy who has shown no ability to put both damage and takedowns and control together. And I hate to say this, Luke, because you hate when I merge business with pleasure when talking about MMA, although this is displeasure. But... Divorce fuels art. It does that in rock and roll. It did it for Mackenzie Dern. Tim Elliott's won four or five here while he's going through personal hell. So, uh, you know, he's a dangerous man, Luke. He's a dangerous man, okay? I'll I'll just say if divorce was, uh, you know, a success indicator for uh, anything, I think people would be a lot happier getting divorces. But it tends to ruin lives, BC. It tends that to is ruin 100% lives. true. Do you want to mention anything else on this card, or can we let I had a fans... question for you. Now, are the sweatpants closer to the back of the buttocks or behind the knees <laughs> for Victoria Dudikova versus Jin Yu Fry uh, at this, uh, Women's Strawweight? This is, uh, this is full... Full bell bottoms with a bell. I'll, you know, yeah, no, I'm not. This one has not been on my radar, but I, you know, I'll watch it, Luke. I'll watch it, okay? I'll watch it. But I, I see. By the what way, uh, read to what do. read what Mikey wrote you. All right, Justin Gaethje has responded to to the. I'm assuming a tweet that Shaquille Missouri put out with the quotes and the video of the uh, of Kamara Usman's video, and he says, uh, believe it or not, he said, "I'm good" or something like that. I thought he hit his head on the mat. I asked him if he hit his head in this clip when we got up, and he said no. So Gaethje's saying that their conversation about something popped was 
involving Usman hitting his head. I don't know where Popped comes into that, though, Luke, right? Yeah, I mean, Pop? I'm I, I'm going to retweet it because that's what he's saying. I don't know how true that is. You can listen to the video for yourself. But watch <clears> how he gets up. He gets up. He, he does a sort of halfway technical getup, but not really. And uh, it just looks like one of his, uh, I think it's his, what leg is it? It would be his, yeah. It looks like his uh, right leg is the one that's a little compromised here. So remember that time DC sneezed and threw his back out and almost had to pull out of the what was that the Bro, Derek I've, Lewis? Play? I've done that. I've done yeah. that. I was if at you that hold press the conference. In, it's not if you sneeze; it's if you hold the sneeze yes. in, and you kind of internalize it like that. Like yeah, like holding heartbreak and anger. You got to let that out, Luke. You got to you, right. you know release it. Remember when DC tripped at the press conference? I think it was the. Was it the Stipe fight or the Derek Lewis one? He got up from the table, and it wasn't that long after Tony Ferguson had gotten injured, and DC just falls over, and you're like, is the fight going to be canceled? DC's great, man. He's like a big, lovable teddy bear. Just don't wear pinstripes. Um, that's UFC 294. They did him dirty with the ref shirt, and I think you do you understand that. You do understand they that. They did. They made him look like a, uh, like an overweight footlocker employee. You know. There you go. Uh, there's an email address, morningcombat at gmail.com, that gives you a chance to reach the show. Not Luke or BC. No, we don't make it that EC, right? Mikey Morms, though, is there. And every Wednesday, we uh, we put your shit up on our fridge and admire it or usually make fun of it. Uh, it's your time to shine. This one's called Fan Submissions. You've got mail. Viewers. Viewers. A lot of males here, Luke, in the mix. Uh, this first one's from Kay, which normally I would think is is a female, but I think it's that guy. Do you know there's a guy, Luke, named Kay, big fan of our show, who scores himself an OK bet every single week with us and tags us, and he's yes. beating us by, like, six right now. Yeah, well, neither of us are good at this, so oh, it should oh, be very right, clear to the right. audience. I don't know if this is the, K, the same Kay, but big fan of this guy. He says, just wanted to send in my picks I took with the MK bomber jacket while meeting Bo Katan Kriz, Kriz from The Mandalorian and Sasha Banks, the WWE superstar who's also, or former one, who's also in The Mandalorian as well. Luke, I think that's the same K, right? We've seen this guy before in fan subs. For sure. And uh, who is this person here he's next to? That's Sasha Banks. She used to be a big WWE star, and, and she's an actress. Now and... she's dressed up like Woody from Toy Story? Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I can't explain any elements of this or if that's a wife beater under K's bomber jacket or not, but uh, but this is cool, Luke. He took us with him on his life's travels. He looks, and... he looks thrilled next to be Bo-Katan, boy. Let me tell you, he looks like he just couldn't be happier, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't speak to to what's what's going on in his head or the weird facial expressions. But what do you think about this guy chasing after the passions of his heart at this comic con, but yet repping us along the way? Remember yes. when Christian Daguerre brought that MK T-shirt and posed with Tony Ferguson? That meant Tony Ferguson was down with our shit. That means Sasha Banks is one of us, Luke, a true boss. I don't know who that is, so I can't say if that's cool or not, but right. um, K is living his best life. Let's just be honest yeah, about that. Yeah, thank you, K. Hopefully he... Now, look, do you do the thing that, that male celebrities do, that when you take a picture with a lady that you're not married to, that you don't put your arm around anymore, that you make sure your yes. arm is concealed? I had Valerie Laredo once in studio for SiriusXM, and I definitely did the hover hand. I did not put it directly on her back. You know what I'm saying? All right. All right. Apparently, Kay is saying in the live chat, Luke, that that was the New York Comic Con that he brought MK to, just representing for us out there. All right. There, very right? good. I've never uh, been to the New York Comic Con, but I want to go. 
a lot of weirdos, I'm sure. I mean, do you think it's it's a cross section of Renaissance fairs, or am I being really mean to our listeners, Luke? No, there's definitely a cross section of Renaissance fair goobers with eating their giant turkey legs and you know having abortions yeah. in the commode. Just okay. absolutely. All right. Okay, just... that is way too far. All right, this one's from RJ. I cannot believe the things I've seen in the outhouses at renaissance festivals you 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 primates out there gross gross look this is rj and i think it's our rj he says sup donks it's your boy rj mother banger back again showing the love with the mk hat at the gym congrats that's not rj gangbanger by the way congrats on 500 episodes and i'm proud to say I've been here for all of them. So, Luke, this RJ... Hey, uh, RJ, you can take the sticker uh, barcode off your phone, guy. Yeah. I only allowed the RJ mother banger to slide through because RJ just ha- gave birth, Luke. His his wife did, so I'm sure... Yeah, he, in fact, banged a mother. Yeah, that's right. so I, that's silly. That's true. It did happen. But this is a different RJ, and uh, he's a... Uh, yeah, there he is. He's in the gym. Well done. Thank you for repping our hat. Let's keep it going here. This is Zach... And he says, fellas, knowing the Uh, intellectual that Luke is, I'm sure he's consumed his share, fair share of anime. So, Luke, rate my anime. I've literally never watched anime, not one time. So you didn't watch it naked with a dog like people think the former middleweight champion has done. Uh, I've never watched it one time. I'm not I'm not going to talk shit about it. I don't know anything about it to talk shit about it, but I've never watched it. All right, all right. There you go. I think that's that's a that's a, that's a decent tattoo, though. That's a decent tattoo. Yeah, I, I think the colors and the uh, the quality of it, with knowing nothing, I know nothing. But well done, Zach. All right, let's keep it going. This is Ian. Hope you all are doing well in Tokyo on my honeymoon, enjoying day twelve of the September Grand Sumo tournament with my wife. Here's to MK all day, every day. Hoping all is well stateside. It's Ian. Luke, this guy went to a sumo competition on the other side of the globe with his lady and repped MK on his honeymoon. That's like shit Saul would do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll do you one better. Can you go back to his first photo that he turned in? The one where you sort of see the crowd in the back? Look at his uh, right forearm. Do you see that? Does he have the DC flag or the more? He sure does. He has the DC flag tattooed on his forearm. So this gentleman is, as far as I'm concerned... On the Donk Hall of Fame list. How Did about that? Did you know that? Is this confirmed that that is what it is? Yes, I, 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 I know this gentleman. I mean, we're not like boys or anything like in real life. Like I don't, we don't hang out on the weekends, but I certainly do know him. He's a very nice guy. He's an accomplished guy as well. I think he's an yeah. attorney. So, yeah. If if you found out he was currently driving your car around Tokyo, would this change this description, <laughs> Luke, or what? It was a Mazda. It was a Mazda. They there took a go. Mazda. There you go. Well, hey, congratulations on the wetting, Ian, as well. Uh, I hope your wife knows she's got a BC, how her. hungry would you be in Japan because you're food racist and you can't eat anything? I'm not food racist. That would be your producer, Mikey, who... who uh, <laughs> well, Mikey is like a food grand wizard or something. I mean, okay. he's just the most food he's racist not, guy on he's earth. He's not the David Duke of, uh, of chicken nuggets, look, believe me. Let's go over to Joe Art. Hey, Joe Art, average Joe Art, right? Last week, I ranted... And went on pretty long about Brutus, says Joe Art. I read all of the mess. Brutus, by the way, was his was his uh, special needs older dog that he takes great care of. Yes. I read all the messages and saw some of the comments about him. Warms my heart to see the big guy get so much love. So this week I'll keep it short and simple. Luke Thomas wields the mighty grammar hammer, inspired by my love of classic metal albums and vintage comic book art. 
I would weather and fade this even more for an actual shirt, but I wanted to make sure everything was visible for you both. Your undisputed 2023 donk of the year, and no, I'm not an employee, Brian. I'm an independent contractor unless they want to offer me benefits. Enjoy volume two of the merch. It's Average Joe Art. Luke, this guy's great. Yeah, he misspelled the first word. It's whosoever. Um... So it actually has a grammar error in the actual art itself. How about well, yeah, that? Yeah, and a smelling one. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But it's got the crown and anchor marine tattoo that you... Yes, he did ask me for some better looks at it. And that, that's a very accurate representation of it. He did a... Please don't misunderstand me. This is amazing, okay? Yeah. But if I'm going to be the grammar hammer, I got to point out it's whosoever wields this hammer, not whosoever. Yeah, well, that's neither here, Luke, nor there, okay? Let's be honest. Let's go to John. He says... But but thank you. But thank you, Average Art. This is amazing. Here we go. He, he says, how I explain this show to my friends and family. <laughs> it's called Morning Combats. Two washed dads discuss boxing and MMA. But more MMA because everyone complains about boxing. And, quote, have you seen this shit? Is a clip compilation of crazy sports moments, but usually ends up being dick shots and elderly abuse. <laughs> <laughs> that chick is like get away from me yes that's does, it, how does she not bear a somewhat resemblance to laura sanko somewhat uh yes luke yes she does right yes she does uh, and this guy you see this guy on the left that's every guy at a pantera concert can i just be honest it's every guy yeah i mean that guy's been in the gym though a lot you got to give him credit, Luke. For yeah, that. the Pantera fans are in the weight room. There's a lot of they them. They are. The they got room. a lot of anger that they need to exercise. Uh, also, John, I don't know if this is a different John, but he says, hey, we all know what Kitty Kitty is really thinking. And there's a meme of my cat Zoe, and it says, this was the moment Zoe broke the news. Brian, there is only one real man who owns this heart, and that man's initials are LT. Um, Luke, I'm told this is a different John who sent this in, but uh, I got to love anytime Zoe's get. Right now, you know what's happening in my house, Luke? And I know you really couldn't care less. Zoe is competing why, for my heart. Why are you... Know you She's don't to care about Reggie my Jeff. life. It's not true that I don't care about your life. Thank There's you. the difference. Thank you. She's competing with Reginald Jackson right now to for the for the number one spot of the five animals in my house. Okay, that's the truth right now. Okay. What's the power ranking? Give it to me right now. In terms of the, how they love me or what? No, in terms of how you love them. All right. Uh, Reggie Jackson, number one, although he's equally the worst of the five. You know, he's, he's just, there's definitely a Jekyll and Hyde going on, but he chose me, so I got to respect that, okay? Uh, right. Two is Molly the dog, the giant brown one with the incredible heart. Uh, three would be Zoe. Four would be Emma the white cat. And five would be my wife's dog, Sasha. And even though I love Sasha, she would kill me in a second if she felt that I was getting too close to my wife. I mean, she'd probably try to kill me. So, Luke, I'm never going to forget that fact in the back of my mind when I do power rankings of my animals. You know what I mean? And I'm guessing your kids are what, six and seven, Uday and Kuse? No, they are first and first. <laughs> and by the way, my son Chris yesterday, I'm so proud to say this, as a sophomore, ran a 1738 at the hardest cross-country course in the state 
for his conference championship and went all conference as a sophomore. Wow. So that's um, a 1738. That's for a three miler. Yeah, that's a 3.1, and that's a really hard course. There's a hill in the middle called the Green Monster. The, the yeah, dude, that's a sub uphill. six minute. That's a sub six minute. Uh, yeah, uh, per he, mile. he did Fuck. three minutes slower than that as a freshman. So he's come out of nowhere. And my others, and my his twin brother Isaac is the heart and soul the hardest worker on that team and he uh we we loved seeing him luke he got to run in his headband that he got over the summer isaac did because he ran 400 miles to join the 400 mile club so those That's, are my uh, dudes beyond They're amazing your, your children are, uh, are amazing did you not get my uday and kusei joke no i didn't i didn't it right. went right over let's leave it let's leave it that way let's yeah. leave it that way are those the names of the two girls with the cup or what no that's okay. right those are the two girls with the cup that's right Uday and okay. yep. uh, we have a third john who has a video here okay got a lot of johns yeah dear john no? any day now. there we go all the way to las vegas <laughs> and stop back. and not stop by well fuck one more time <laughs> <laughs> did they leave that in there Eric's here. I'm so excited. Just don't mess anything up. Okay, here we go. And then we all the way to Las Vegas and <laughs> stop and not stop by. Well, fuck one more time. <laughs> yeah, Luke, that's the actual uh, intro to that great interview. By the way, some people really thinking that's the best RSD. Uh, it might be. It was pretty good. It was Beating pretty good. Out I mean, Paul Craig, Arnold Dallin. Uh, it would have been Longo. better if we were all uh, had the same amount of edibles in our tummy as you did. Um, there was I, one person having a party I, on that set, and it was it's you. Speculation, spe heavy speculation. I, it's certainly not true. Let's go to History HD. In honor of the 500-episode milestone, I decided to go into the archives and show the real evolution of man. Thanks for all your hard work, Donks. And, Luke, the MK fans are still holding out for a debate between you and Bryce Mitchell. So, Luke, yeah, this I'm meme... Not, no, there is no debate. This meme shows me during the pandemic when I buzz cut my own head at episode 40 in 2020. And three years later at episode 500, yes, I look like I've been uh, run over like OJ at the end of Naked Gun Part 1. You yeah, you don't have like meth sores, but you don't look great. No, I've been weathered from this game, from, from this. this. You know, like fighting, Luke, the MK journey does take a lot out of you, right? You end up giving more than you take, but... Boy, does it feel good to take once in a while, right? It sure does. It sure does. All right. Are we going right now to a, yes, Alan W. will close this week. Remember Alan W., Luke, a nominee yes, last year for Donk of the Year through his craft work here? Mikey's always telling us this guy might be the most creative guy we had. He says, hey, it's been a while since I submitted any fan subs, but I'm back for a moment to make sure to congratulate you guys on reaching 500 episodes. With this submission, I would like to ask both of you to share any funny, memorable Halloween memories Happy Halloween, donks. Oh, ho, 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 ho. oh, wow, dude! That it's so funny, dude. I'm actually going as Michael Myers this year. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So that works out. I already scared the shit out of Tuki. She cried. Yeah, I felt kind of bad. Unforgivable but... at her age and how cute she, she is. Told she told me to you. try on my costume, so I did. And then I came around the corner with the machete, the fake machete, and I went, Arr! and she went. Arr! She fucking screamed and then cried and went to mom. So yeah. I feel kind of bad, but rightfully um, so. Rightfully but uh, this so. is amazing. This is fucking. That is amazing. so good. Before we get to the next one, I want to read you what Alan W wrote about it. He says to back Mikey and his fandom for the dynamic duel 
of Tom Sakura and Burnt Chrysler. You two relate to both of them much more than you think. Most of their comedic material is based on their trials and tribulations of aging, their vices, being fathers and husbands. Well, less so for Tom these days now that he's leaner and rolling in money. I suggest catching the follow... The following stand-up specials, completely normal by Tom Segura, The Machine by Burt Kreischer. But to be honest, Anthony Jeselnik is more Luke Speed. Here's a fan submission that is a play of two bears and one cave. <laughs> get, this the, get this the hell out of my life, Luke. What is this? This is Donks versus Juggalos, which fan base can, <laughs> can actually read. Oh, wow. that is amazing. Now... Of all those specials mentioned, I want I want the audience to know I'm not going to watch any of them. So there's that. But uh, this is well done. This is well, extremely well done, if I do say so myself, BC. So that's me standing shirtless behind you, reaching yeah. around and hugging my disgusting belly stomach yes. uh wow uh that's pretty you know good. I asked I asked Mikey I was like Mikey when you saw Burt Chrysler did he take his shirt off because he never you know that's a that's a yeah that's a rare treat you know what i mean you know it's not it's not a thing he does for just anybody and and mikey said he did and i was yeah, like wow I'm sure man. he was sure a lucky one shirt off yeah one of the lucky but, uh, ones you know i mean it's just one of those things luke that i don't know i think we're pre predestined just to like hate certain things and, and not like certain styles like everyone's like yo stop talking shit about kiss if you actually listen to their albums they rock Dude, I don't yeah, they don't, like, though. That's the thing. I don't want to like Kiss. No, I just don't want to. I don't like Bono, Luke. I'm sorry. I just don't like him, okay? That's I don't I don't, I don't. like or dislike Bono. I do like U2. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect their hits, but I don't like Bono enough to get into them. And, you know, I also... Dude, you don't like Sunday, Bloody Sunday? Like, dude, that's a great I just, song. Did, I think I just said I really like their hits, Luke. I, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not... I'm not well, then you do like U2. ...to the table... I like their art, not the artists, Luke. I'm just I'm oh, allowed yeah. to be I mean, annoyed at certain. You know, do I? Do you too. think I'm gonna call the edge the edge? I'm gonna call him whatever his fucking stupid yeah. name is. But I'm just saying, yeah. like they make they made some hits, bro. They made some hits. Uh, they, they and listen, a lot I'm not hits. even saying that the other donks, the comedians, uh, uh, what's his name? I don't even know his real name now. I call it like you call him Burt Kreischer. Burt Kreischer. Bert and then the other the other donk, they might be very funny. I don't even know. I'm like I literally am not even like weighing in on it. I just like to troll the people that like them yes um it's the way our, they our MMA lot, fans you know? talk about boxing you know they like we don't want to give it a chance we don't want to like it but you know luke also new kids on the block had a bunch of hits and chinese food gives me the shits you know what i mean luke but you know it's the it's the girls in the summer for the summer hey remember when jay LFO, aaron came out lfo remember when jay aaron came out with sots song of the summer and there was a music video online uh with him in like a speedboat out in the ocean what do you think his future is? I think he's got a girlfriend. I've been following him on social media. No, but I'm saying, like, how does his story end? Oh. Like accidental carbon monoxide yes. poisoning or something like, like that, right? Like the most bizarre something. accidental death where you're just yeah. like, damn, that's a tragedy. But, you know, Jay did live on the edge. I mean, he it's did like, put shake he, weights on his steering wheel of his Tesla so he could fall asleep while he's driving, right? I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you're just going to hear it's like a man in Brooklyn uh, electrocuted himself with an eel on a bus. Yes. You know, and then drowned in the tank by himself. You're like, who the fuck could die? Oh, right. Jay. Yeah, yeah. Jay. Jay. Thank you very much. Hey, Jay's a big part of our history. You can't say MK without saying Jay, I think. 
Well, All you right. could, but then there'd be technical difficulties, and you'd probably just miss it anyway. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes. If, yes. if Jay's involved, that's all. I mean, would you agree that like off camera, Jay's kind of charming and he's pretty funny? You know when I mean? Jay is being great, Jay, it's great to be around great Jay. I just, you know, not great Jay. <laughs> not so my favorite. One, so which one's the act? You know what I mean? Which one's the real Jay? All right, there you go. It's, I know, it's like when he gets it right, I'm like, are you putting on an act or is this the real you? I yeah, honestly yeah. don't know. Shout you know? out to Pennington James. You can probably follow him on Spotify. But you know what? His sandwich reviews for college kids, I think that's going to take off. I think that's going to be a hey, real big hit hey, for him. You know? And next, we'll make the, the... Yeah, that guy's great. That guy's great. What a history maker. Hey, Mikey Morms, thank you on the ones and twos today. Thank you to our listeners. Please check out all our bonus content, youtube.com slash morningcombat. Uh, really nice, not just RSD with Eric Nixick, but a breakdown of the fighters that'll be on Saturday's UFC 294 card. Luke, do you agree with the P1s that say release the full video of the original pregame preview because they just want to hear Eric's analysis so bad. No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't do that type of stuff. No, no, there it is. All right, morningcombat.store. It's time, guys, 2.0 of the average Joe Art experience. You saw him in fan subs. Like Alan W., he's a hell of a creative force. And right now, we have a merch collaboration with him. So check out the new line that's out there. Oh, Luke, that, that MK Trucker hat, the red, white, and blue one, and Average Joe Arts logo, I could wear that. I could wear that. I, I could live in that, you know? I gave you a trucker hat. Yeah, it's in the studio. I love that trucker hat. I want you I to wear, wear that hat more often. I wear it in the studio. It's it's Columbia, not Columbia. Right? By the way, we should tell the folks, Monday we're going to be in studio. Monday. Monday, yes, Monday, Monday. So after the big two, pay-per-view. Yep, you got it. It'll be. It'll not just be another manic Monday for you. By the way, I think she's still hot from the Bengals. I think she's still got it, Luke. I have not seen her. I have not seen her. Okay, there you go. That's Luke Thomas. I am Brian Campbell. Take care of yourselves, folks. We need you. MK forever. Not going anywhere. We still here. We back. Trust me. We back.